Well, amen. Aren't you glad for the goodness and mercy and the, and the power of His blood? Thank you, guys, for singing for us this morning, leading us in worship. God is uh, always so good to strengthen us and uh, give us um, encouragement through times of worship. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua uh, chapter 5. Uh, when we look at Joshua chapter 5, Israel is about to uh, engage in the campaign to take the promised land that God had given to them. And so, in that pursuit of seeking God's will for their life, uh, we always find that as believers to be uh, a little bit uh, of an engagement in a struggle, right? If you guys want to know what God wants you to do or you want to take hold of what God wants for your life, have you found that to be difficult sometimes? Maybe just a little bit challenging, or there might be a little bit of opposition if you want to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we always want to win, right? I mean, we want to be victorious in that pursuit. It's always better to win than it is to lose, isn't it? I mean, come on, ask those Vol fans this weekend. Last weekend was better than this one, right? We, we want to win. And God wants us to win when it comes to the, His things. And his purpose is for us. He wants us to walk in victory. The promised land is a, a symbol. It's an idea. It's a truth of God's people walking in the victory. And for you and I, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the promised land isn't a picture of heaven. Because the promised land has enemies inside. Struggles inside. It's not heaven. But what the promised land pictures you and I today is a, is a victorious walk. With the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Israel was about to engage or enter into that very thing. And so as we look at chapter 5, I want us to see it from the view or from the lens of what are some of those things that God was telling Israel that would help them to be victorious that can help you and I be victorious as well. What, what can we draw or gain from this very thing? And first of all, we have to find what win is, right? <laughs> I mean, because there's all kinds of understandings in the world that we live in today about what it is to win. You know, with the world, winning is money. It's fame. It's, it's pleasure. It's all those things. And people are willing to do pretty much anything in our world today to win. When it comes to those particular things, they are willing to lie or cheat or steal or defame others or debase themselves or even murder and destroy. Just to win. Uh, all to bring attention, basically, to themselves. About winning. It's about putting self first. But you see, a real win kind of looks like this. If we understand it from God's point of view, here's what it looks like. It's living in absolute dependence on God. You see, when we do that, then we're winning. When, when we're ready to, to, to lay down our life, when we're ready to take up the promises of God and possess what He has for us, it's when we're experiencing His power and is living His life through us, that's when we win. Because let me tell you, that's when we're the most fulfilled as people, is, is walking in, in, in that presence of God. Listen to what Joshua 
and his path to winning sounds like. Chapter 5, beginning verse 1. It says, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites and uh, who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until he had, they had crossed over, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel uh, again the second time. And Joshua made a knife of flint for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel uh, at the hill of foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after that they had come out of Egypt and for all the people who came out had been circumcised but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised for the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were were uh, consumed before they did not obey the voice of the Lord, uh, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to them, to their fathers, he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Let me stop here just a minute, verse 6. i give you a little bit of uh, a catch-up. Uh, the idea of circumcision was God's way of identifying his people. It was a sign of a covenant relationship that people had with God. In other words, they would be marked physically, showing that they were belonging to God and they submitted to that because they wanted to be a part of God's people and so it was a a thing that identified them as God's people now we know in uh, reading uh, book of Deuteronomy and other books and numbers that the children of Israel came up 40 years before this to the very boundary of the Jordan River and God sent them uh, in spies to spy out the land and they went in, and you know what the report was, that 10 brought back a negative report, said, you know, there's giants living in the land, they are too strong for us, they live in fortified cities, we can't overcome any of them, and so it's just useless for us to try to do that. But two, Joshua and Caleb gave a good report, and they said, listen, this is what God has promised us. So let's just go in and take the land. And, and have it for ourselves and possess it. Well, 40 years before this, Israel refused to go into the promised land. And because of that, God passed a judgment on the, on the nation of Israel. And God said to them, he says, listen, this is what's going to happen. Is that anyone that's 20 years and over that's a part of this group, you will not see the promised land. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every one of you have died until there's no one left that was over 20 or over, and, and all those that are younger can enter in, all those that are born uh, during that time of 40 years of journey, you can go in and, and possess that promised land. I'll give you another chance, but these who have refused now are not going in. And so the 40-year time period was up. There they were. There they are. Here we find them at the, the Jordan River again. They've crossed over. They've entered into the promised land. They're there. And so for those 40 years of those 
young people that were born, they hadn't taken the sign of God. And so they, they needed to identify themselves with God because they were going to participate in a covenant that God had made with them. And so they needed to be on board. And so here's where we are. And so Joshua follows what God had commanded him to do and uh, circumcised all the young men who hadn't been. And so we, we find ourselves there. Now listen, we go a little bit further in, in our verses of Scripture. And, and um, if you'll follow along, we'll, we'll continue on, okay? Uh, verse 10, Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. Here's another covenant sign of God's people uh, keeping the Passover. Verse 11, And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched corn on the, way, on the very same day. And then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Cana that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And so he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, how does my Lord say to his servant, or what does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you're standing is holy, and Joshua did so. Pray with me if you would this morning. Father, we are uh, just grateful this morning that this place that we're here is a holy place because of your presence here with us today. Lord, help us to understand all these things that you have shown your people that's led them in victory, that's helped them to win And Father, help us to understand these truths as well. And Lord, we ask it to be so in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen. You know, as you look with me at what the Scripture begins to say about what it is to be, I want to give you four things that I really believe are fundamental for you and I to be victorious or to be winners for the Lord Jesus Christ or to walk in His victory. That first thing I want you to see with me is in verses 1 through 8. And it's the idea of commitment. We have to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to be victorious today, if we're going to overcome, or if we're going to succumb, it really depends on who Jesus is to us. Are we committed to Him? Uh, are, are we really buying in to what God says and what God's plan is for our life today? You know, in the kingdom of God, we can't be half-hearted or half-committed. We're either all the way in or we're not in at all. Uh, Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so the idea of commitment is foundational to where you you and I, uh, whether or not we're walking in victory, whether or not we're going to win in that battle or that struggle that we're in today. Uh, You see, why do they need to be committed? Let me give you some reasons, and hopefully we can draw out of that some understanding. First of all, if you look at verse 1, they were facing a great enemy. 
The Bible talks about the kings of the Amorites and the kingdom of the Canaanites. And they were great and mighty and powerful entities in the day of Joshua and the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, they were camped alongside of Jericho. Uh, we're going to get into Jericho a little bit later, but Jericho was one of the most strongest fortified cities that they would come up against. I mean, giant walls uh, with fortifications, and the people had armaments and all kinds of things. And here's a ragtag bunch of people that have been wilder- wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And they, they come against these mighty enemies. If you and I are going to be victorious in the struggles that we have against our enemies today, we have to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were surrounded and outnumbered. They, they, were, they were caught in a place where they had no way of being victorious on their own. Without the intervention of God and without their trust and their commitment in Him, they would flatly be defeated. We're going to see one of their defeats later about how they didn't trust God's way and how they went out on their own and how a small forces absolutely defeated and embarrassed Israel because they weren't committed to the Lord, doing things His way. And you and I have to be that way today. You see, this city of Jericho was a great stronghold. So often Satan today wants to build those strongholds in our own life. He certainly wants to build them and has built them in our culture today. Uh, we're seeing all kinds of institutions in our world today, whether it's schools or whether it's the institution of marriage or whatever it is, where Satan's trying to tear it down, destroy it, redefine it, uh, or make it seem to be different than what it is, building that stronghold. And the only way that you and I are going to overcome is by committing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Not partially, but singularly to Him. The enemy was defeated... Uh, but uh, Israel didn't really even know it. Look at verse 1, kind of interesting, isn't it? It says that once they were surrounded by all these kingdoms, uh, the Scripture goes on to say, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord was, had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we crossed over, that their hearts melted. In other words, inside these fortified cities were a people that were so afraid uh, that their courage left them. But you see, the Israelites didn't know that. They didn't know that they were coming against an enemy that had already been defeated. You see, you and I as God's people, he's defeated our enemies. Satan has no victory over us. You see, the, the, the resurrection is the proof that Christ won that battle for us. And so our enemies are defeated, but we don't always know that, do we? We're intimidated by Satan. We're like Peter says, we look at him as a roaring lion walking around seeking whom he may devour, but he's already been defeated. And we just have to live in that, and the only way we're going to do that is to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed that commitment. You and I need it today because we're facing great enemies today. Now, let me give you another reason also to be committed. Uh, they, they needed to be committed because they'd forgotten their way. They, need to re, they needed to recommit to God because they had forgotten the way. If you look at verse 2, it says that uh, it says this at that time, 
The Lord said to Joshua, make for yourself flint knives. And he said, go out and and circumcise. You see, they they had lost what it meant to be connected to God. They had lost the understanding of what it meant to be in that relationship with God. They'd forgotten their way. All the adult Israelites who had refused to enter in, they were destroyed. They were under God's judgment. And the surviving ones needed to recommit and reconnect to God. Have you ever forgotten the way, by the way? Have you ever forgotten your way when it comes to that relationship that you have with God? Somehow you've just kind of walked off in another direction. You've forgotten what those basic things are. You know, there's just some real basic things about our growing in our relationship with God. One of them you're doing here this morning is worshiping. There's that basic thing of worship, isn't there? There's that basic thing of being in the Word of God. You know, if we get out of the Word of God, then we step out of our understanding and our communication with Him. We're not hearing from God. If we're not hearing from God, then we're almost guaranteed that we're not going to be committed to Him. There's... um, they're serving in His kingdom. Work. If we walk away from that, then we're disconnecting with God. There's that sense of, of fellowship in the body of Christ. We walk away from that fellowship in the body of Christ and we, we disconnect from Him. And, and we forget our way. We need to rededicate our lives from time to time to the Lord. Paul said that I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying we we really need to recommit every day. That that every day, if we're living sacrifices, then it's a constant committing ourselves to the Lord. Because we have a tendency to walk away from that commitment. You know, another reason to be committed is not only if we're not, we'll forget our way, but also if you look a little further in verses 4 through 6, that they had failed, they'd failed the Lord, right? I mean, they're 40 years late possessing what they should have had. Why? Because they failed the Lord. They, they come up to a point of decision and they made the wrong one. <laughs> have you ever done that? They lived with the consequences for 40 years. Some of them lived with the consequences that, that, that ran out their life. And so they, they failed the Lord. Israel had to know the seriousness of their disobedience. And God dealt with Israel as a nation. But hear me this morning. Listen, I'm so glad that God doesn't do that anymore. But He deals with us as individuals. As individuals. He deals with us concerning His children. God's not penal in the sense that He wants to punish us, but He's redemptive in the sense that He sometimes chastens us. Right? As His children, what does God do? What does a good parent do for a disobedient child? Yeah, do we say, hey, way to go. I'm so glad you're disobedient. Or or do we say, hey, I'm thrilled to be your mom or your dad because you never listened to me. Right? It's not how a loving parent acts toward a child. A loving parent acts toward our, our, our children in a, in a way that wants to be 
corrective and loving in the sense that bringing them from, from, from unagreement to agreement, <laughs> from things that might be harmful and hurtful to things that are helpful and make them happy. That's what God wants to do with us. You see, when he, he chastens us, it's not because he just wants to punish us, but it's because he wants to move us. Move us in a direction that brings us back to him. Back to that commitment that we have with him. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Right? If, if God wasn't disciplining you or I, then I, we'd have to question whether he loved us or not. If he just allowed us to keep going in the same direction, not tried to turn who we are or what we're doing, then the big question was, does he really love me? His discipline brings us back to him. How often do... Do we run away from God? You ever do that? You ever just, yeah, Lord, I know what you're saying, but this is a big word in it, but yeah, here's what I'm doing. We move away from Him. It's dangerous. It was for the children of Israel. And so we have to stay committed. Let me give you a, a fourth thing about commitment, and then I'll stop about that. Move on to something else. But they, they feared their circumstances. Are you kidding? They were, they were really encamped in the shadow of one of the greatest cities in the ancient culture, Jericho. And, and they knew that for them to move forward in God's promise, that that had to go. That city had to go. I can't even imagine if I were them looking at that city, even if the gates were open and nobody were live, living in that city, how in the world am I going to tear that thing down? I mean, if I had no opposition, but they did have opposition. But God had a plan. And God was going to take care of them. But they, but they lived in fear. Listen to verse 8. Do you, do you know what? When Joshua obeyed God and marked all the men for, for covenant relationship with God. Remember circumcision? When, when he did that, do you realize that there's a healing period of time for that? I mean, these guys didn't just jump up after that happened and, and just, you know, were the strong, vigorous men that they were. But they were weak for a while. And for them to submit to what Joshua was commanded to do, what God had commanded to do, was putting them in the place where they had to put their lives completely in God's hands. Where they had to trust without exception that God would protect them in this time. And in verse 8, he speaks to that a little bit. He says, so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Until they were healed. You see, they couldn't go out and do anything or go anywhere or defend themselves or, 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 or really stand up in any way. And so when they, when they were at this place of weakness, they just trusted God. That he would take care of them. You see, if we're not committed to God, our fear will overcome us. The circumstances that you and I see every day in our life have the potential to be overwhelming. The hurt, the disappointment, the 
pain, the change, all those things that, that come at us, our convictions that we stand on for Jesus Christ and, and the, the, the opposing world that we live in today can overcome us if we're not committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. It can be so fearful that we'll give in or we'll give up or we'll give out instead of giving our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now all of a sudden they, they were fearful, but what overcomes that fear is a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one thing that we need to understand is that we have to be committed. You know, another thing that's important that we need to realize is that we need to be also, verse 9, be cleansed. Be cleansed in the sense that uh, verse 9 talks about the Lord and said to Joshua that this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. In other words, they had lived in Egypt for 400 years, lived under slavery, uh, lived in reproach, lived a minimized life, lived a life of unimportance, a life of despair, a life until it was so hard that they began to cry out to God and God responded and delivered them. And so they needed to overcome that. And they needed to be cleansed. And so the Bible says God did that. The, the very camp, the city that they were encamped in, God said, we're going to call this place Gilgal. You know what Gilgal means? It's, it's a word for a wheel or it means to roll. And what did God do? He took their reproach and he rolled it away. You see, at the cross where my sins were rolled away, the reproach of my sin was rolled away at Calvary's cross. When that stone was rolled away, the evidence of my forgiveness came forth in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Rolled away. You see, you and I, we, time to time, we need to confess our sins, don't we? Because the Bible says if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to roll our sins away, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Israel needed to be cleansed before they could walk in victory. Often you and I need that same uh, time that we get right with God and in our relationship with Him to be honest about those things that we, we need to confess to Him. So Israel needed to be cleansed. Another thing that they needed is they needed to be confident. They, they needed to know that the winners that they were. But let me tell you, our confidence only comes through the performance of our, our God. We can't be confident in anything that we do. You ever, you ever notice that? I mean, just as sure as we start getting self-confident, you know what? We, get, we find out that we're, uh, that we're in trouble. Trouble. Uh, verse... Uh, 10 through 12, the Bible says one of the first things that they did, it was time to celebrate Passover. And what they did in that celebration reminded them of the God that they served. Do you remember what Passover was? It's what they were given in Egypt before they were delivered. And they were given these instructions in Passover that God was about to judge Egypt and take the lives of all the firstborn children or all the firstborn in Egypt. 
And, and God gave the Israelites cons, uh, instruction. He said, here's what you do. You sacrifice a lamb. And you, you take the blood of that lamb and you, you put it on your, your doorpost, on the corners of your door. You mark your house. You, you sacrifice it in the doorway. You take the meat and you prepare it a certain way. And you use it for provisions for, for your life. And, and so that night when God passed over in judgment, what happened? That all those that he saw faith, right? The Israelites had to have faith to do what they did. When they saw those homes that were marked with the blood of the Lamb, then that judgment passed over. And so now they understood a God that they could be confident in. They heard the wailing, the misery of all the Egyptians and the loss of their firstborn. But yet they understood that it was God who spared them because of their faith. You see, we can have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our confidence. He is our, our hope. And, and we, we trust in Him. You, listen, we can step out in this world today and we can be winners because Jesus Christ is our victor. He's our champion. He's our overcomer. And so if we put our confidence in Him, then we can go out. And we can take the measure that this world has to offer to us. And we can stand. Well, last thing that I want to give to you is that not only confidence and cleansing and commitment, but also we have to be under control. Under His control. Let me say it like that. <laughs> Verses 13 through 15 describes a unique event. You, you see, Joshua's coming along, and he sees this, this vision. And he sees someone standing with a drawn sword. And he begins to question this person about what his intent is and who he is. And this person identifies himself. Now, let me tell you, this isn't an angel. Because if this were an angel, then if Joshua bowed down to an angel, then he'd be guilty of worshiping angels. You see, Joshua called him Lord. For a reason. You see, this is one of those rare appearances where Jesus showed himself before Calvary, before his birth. Bible scholars call it a Christophany. Another one was in the book of Daniel, right? When the Hebrew children were thrown in a fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar saw and he said, hey, there's one in there. There's a fourth one in there. And that fourth one in there looks like the Son of God. And so Joshua had one of those experiences, and, and, and what did he do? He identified himself, hey, I'm the, I'm, I'm the captain of the Lord's army. And Joshua yielded to his authority, didn't he? He said, hey, whatever you want. Look, you're the general, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the corporal, I'm the sergeant, I'm the captain, but you're the leader. It's only till we come to that place where we're willing to let God lead in everything. To let the Lord Jesus Christ lead us, that we follow Him, that we're going to walk in victory. And so we have to be under, under control. Hard to do, isn't it, sometimes? Because we're really so good about taking control in our lives. 
There's a passage of scripture that I want to share with you when we close about acknowledging the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And listen to what it says. It says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. You see, the Bible tells us that if Jesus is leading and if we're following, he's leading us in victory and we're walking in that victory. And as we do that, then we give to the world a testimony of of how wonderful Jesus Christ is. Are you under control today? Or are you trying to be in control? You'll never walk in victory unless you're under Jesus Christ's control. You see, there's this thing about commitment. There's confidence that we need. And there's control that he must have. If we're going to walk in victory. I want you to bow with me if you would. And we're going to pray. Father in heaven. We're again so grateful to you today. For how you're. Incredible. Eternal love for us. Is always so evident. The things that we face in our lives. Lord, your people have always and always will until you come again have found themselves face to face with our enemies, uh, our struggles, uh, with circumstances, difficulties. But Lord, always you lift up your love for us and you show us the way to walk in and that victory to win in our lives and relationships with you. So, Lord, I just pray this morning for that commitment that we need as believers to absolutely and totally follow you. And, Father, I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning, if you would.